Amen. Good morning, Maple Grove. The tomb is still empty, and Jesus is still alive. Amen? Amen. Not just on Easter, right? Every day. Every day it's empty. I'll tell you, I love that, that song we just sang. You know, is Jesus' name beautiful or what? Your death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory for you are raised to life again. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. We're here this morning for one reason and one person only. We're here for Jesus. Amen? Amen. And this morning, we're kicking off a brand new series called Becoming the Church He Intended. And that makes sense, right? I mean, that seems like a very logical and worthy pursuit for us. Wouldn't you agree? Like, that's what we should want to become. Amen? Amen. Uh, become the church that Jesus intends for those who meet at 3210 Prophet Road to be. And not the church I, I intend, or, or, the, or the other elders intend, not, not the church that you intend, or the person sitting next to you intends, or the world intends, but the church that Jesus intended for us to be. I mean, does anyone not want to become that church? Raise your hand. <laughs> no, I won't make you do that. It could be bad. It's good to know we're on the same page. But listen, it's one thing to say that. It's one thing to say that, that we want to be that church, to say that we want to become the, the kind of Jesus followers that he intended because we are the church. Yeah, it's one thing for me to, to stand up here for a, a bunch of Sundays and talk about what it means to become the church that Jesus intends and for you to listen and maybe even agree. But, but it's quite another thing for me, for you, for the person to your right and left to do what needs to be done in order to make his intentions for his church our reality. Get it? Good. And here's the bottom line. For that to happen, it will require us during the next several weeks to be open to what God has to say. To come, and not with our arms crossed and our minds already made up, uh, but to come with open hearts, open to whatever God wants to say to us. It will require that we be honest about who we are and where we are in regards to his church. It will require that we be humble. Being able to admit where and how we've been wrong about his church. And humbly looking more at ourselves than other people. And I know it's so much easier, right, to point out the failures and shortcomings of other people in the church, especially your leaders, and to ignore the very same things that happen in our own lives. But we have to fight that and be humble. And not walk that path or play that game. It'll require us to, to not make this about ourselves or about our opinions and preferences, but about him and his truth about his church. It'll require that we be willing to change and do whatever it takes to become the church that Jesus intended us to be. And here's the deal. 
if we were already that church, collectively, and we, if we were already the, those Jesus followers individually, we would not need to be doing the series. However, we are not, which is why we are here on this topic. Get it? Good. And so for the next however many weeks, we're going to be diving into the Bible, especially the book of Acts, to see what the scripture says about his church. Because the bottom line, it's, it's, it's his living and active word. It's where, we, it's where we start and where we stay in determining what his church is supposed to be, what it's supposed to look like, how it's supposed to act. Because as Peter said, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God, what, it, it endures forever. It's still here. It'll be here a thousand years from now no matter how many people want to poke at it. And when it comes to this pursuit of becoming the church that he intended, I really appreciate, I'm really challenged by a book that Francis Chan wrote. It's his latest book. It's called Letters to the Church. He opens up his first chapter with these words. Imagine you find yourself stranding on a deserted island with nothing but a copy of the Bible. You have no experience with Christianity whatsoever, and all you know about the church will come from your reading of the Bible. How would you imagine the church to function? Seriously. Close your eyes for two minutes. We won't take that long. (laughs) And try to picture the church as you would know it if you just read it in the Bible. Then he says, now think about your current church experience. Is it even close? Can you live with that? I can't. And I don't think most of you can either because we know there's more. I mean, that's why you're here. Now, church has been a part of my life in one way or another from as long as I can remember. As a child, a church was a place that my mom took me to on Sundays and woke me up. It was a place that every now and then I would put on a robe and I would light a few candles there's nothing more than that. I mean, I never once opened my Bible. I never once read one verse of Scripture. As a teenager, my mom stopped trying to wake me up. <laughs> Actually, I would pretend I was asleep till I heard the, the tire wheels on the gravel. It's like, all right, it's safe to get up now. And, and church became totally irrelevant to me. It was a place where strange people went, people who were absolutely against everything. Like my church-going neighbor, Miss Bobby was always quick to tell me how sinful I was. I'll never forget the time I'm, I'm out there, you know, back in the old days, like when you, you had to trim the weeds in your yard, you didn't have this weed eater, you had basically scissors, right? So I'm going along the fence line, and I'm listening to the group Kansas, and Miss Bobby comes out and tells me to turn down that devil music. You need to go to church, boy. And I was like, really? What time do I need to go? I'm, I really want to be there. No, not at all. Um, as a young adult, 19 to 20, church was a place where I both met and began to learn about Jesus. It's where the Bible started to come alive to me and where I met a bunch of good people and I served a little here and there. But, but it was not a place where I was encouraged or really shown how to really get to know Jesus or, or where, I was, where I was challenged to the fact that Jesus has called me to help change the world one life at a time. And as a pastor for the last 27 years, church has been many things. It has been my place, it has been the place of my, my greatest sorrows and my greatest joy. The place of my greatest hurt and my greatest hope. Uh, the place of my greatest pain and my greatest passion. The, the place of my greatest frustration and the place of my greatest freedom. 
Now, understand that the truth is, during my 27 plus years, my 1,400 give or take Sundays as a pastor, and my 38 years give or take 2,000 Sundays as a Christian, there have been some pretty messy times. You see, I, like you, when it comes to church, have seen an experience, been a part of the good, the great, the awesome, but also the bad, the ugly, and the extremely bad and ugly and often repulsive. Yet despite all the mess, the dream that, that God placed for his church to really and fully be that city on the hill, that the light and hope of this broken world, that dream has never stopped beating in my heart. Yeah, there's times it slowed down and, and, and needed to be put on life support. However, every time a painful or negative situation would try to beat the dream out of me, both God and the beauty and power of what the church really could be always resuscitated that heartbeat, bringing the dream back to life. And listen, I know that many in this room have, have had the same kind of experience and yet still hold that same dream. Again, that's why you're here the Sunday after Easter. Now, for me, the, the dream of, of what the church really could be began when I began looking at the church that we see recorded in the, in, in the book of Acts. And what an amazing, powerful, inspiring, beautiful story the Holy Spirit breathed through the pen of Paul. From 11 scared men behind locked doors, they, they formed a community of believers that literally turned the world upside down, bringing down the Roman Empire without raising a shield or lifting a sword. Uh, this church, these people were radically devoted to God and his word. Whatever God told them to do, they did. Uh, whenever God told them to stop doing something, they stopped. Wherever God told them to go, they, they went. And when the government told them to stop talking about Jesus or die, they literally chose death and thousand died. Uh, this church, these people, they loved each other in radical kinds of ways. Uh, they took off their mask and they shared lives with one another. They laughed and cried and prayed and sang and served together in authentic Christian community. Those who had more shared with those who had less until socioeconomic barriers just melted away. And, and people related uh, to, to one another in ways that bridged gender and racial chasms and celebrated cultural differences. And Acts 2 tells us that this community of believers, this church offered unbelievers a, a vision for life that was so beautiful that it, it, took their, it took their breath away. I mean, it was so bold, so creative, so courageous, so dynamic that they couldn't resist. And Acts chapter 2 verse 47 tells us that the Lord added to the number daily those were being saved. Baver Grove, imagine being part of something like that. Being part of a God-honoring, Jesus-following, life-and-world-changing movement like that. Yes, sign me up. Again, this new series is about becoming the church that Jesus intended. And like I said last week on Easter Sunday, I'm really not sure of all the stuff we're going to be talking about or how long this is going to take. Right? I had no clue whatsoever. But I do know that for the first two weeks, I want to look at some of the terms or descriptions the Bible uses to talk about the church in a conversation that I'm calling the church is. And see, it's really important for us to, to see what the, the Bible says the church is, because if not, we'll let something else define what the church is, right? And what is a church? It's somewhere I take my kids so they can learn some good, decent family values. You know? What is a church? It's a, it's a place 
that when I move into a new neighborhood, I can meet some decent people. You know, it's a place that I can go whenever it's convenient. And here's the deal. You know, some of the churches, truths we're going to talk about are going to be kind of deep. We're going to go down deep and come back up wet, right? Uh, some of the truths will, will, will go kind of quickly. But before we dive in, I, I want to read another quote from the book, Letters to the Church. It's a great book, by the way, and I would encourage you to maybe grab a copy. I, I'm going to get a few copies, and you know how I like to throw things. Maybe I'll throw some out next week, right? Yeah. I'll, I'll tape a piece of chocolate to it too, right? Then you'll really die for it. But we had someone diving last week for that, a candy over there. Someone could have got injured, man. It was, it was, it was rough. It was fun, though. <clears throat> uh, here's what he writes. God designed a church to be much more than what the majority of us experience in America. There are many of us who believe this and want change. The good news is that God wants this change even more than we do. And he doesn't want these changes. He commands them. We can move forward, therefore, in confidence, knowing God wouldn't command us to do something unless he also empowered us for the task. And then he quotes this verse from Revelation 3. Jesus talking to the church of Laodicea. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. That's crazy, right? Did you hear what I just said? The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Man, are you kidding me? I, I want to sit on that throne. I mean, one day, we'll get to sit on this throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And he continues. After giving a very strong rebuke to the church of Laodicea for being lukewarm, Jesus simply asked them to open the door. So before you get overwhelmed by all that is wrong with the church, remember that he's not placing an insurmountable burden on your shoulders. Instead, he's asking you to fellowship with him and join him in what he is doing. We should be filled with faith and anticipation, remembering what he did at the Red Sea in the empty tomb. So take a deep breath. I think he's talking to me. <laughs> Lay all your stress at his feet. Explain to him your confusion regarding the differences you see between your church and the church you read about. Tell him your dissatisfaction with the lack of power in your own life. Then he writes this. I became a grandpa recently. So we're to be able to type that sentence. The older I get, the more aware I am that the end is near. There's no time they care about what I want in the church. There's no time to worry about what others are looking for in the church. I will be facing him soon. So I have to stay focused on his desires. Amen. Amen. Would you guys pray with me? Open palms if you so desire. Symbolic of your willingness to accept what's coming. Ah, oh, Jesus, you're, you have no rival. You have no equal. And no one can stand against you. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are the resurrection and the life. You are the Lamb of God. You're the bread of life. And Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father, we just come before you and we acknowledge, I acknowledge that, you know, we want to be the church that you intended and we, can, we acknowledge to you that we're not there, but we trust you. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to move. We sang earlier that you're welcome here. And Holy Spirit, we want you to move in here, to move our hearts and open our hearts, that we can see 
the beauty and power of what your church is meant to be. And, and Father, I ask you just help me. I mean, Jesus, you died and bled for the church so that there could be a church. And I want to honor you today, and I want to say what you want me to say. Remove any agenda that may be in my mind that I can't even see right now. May you be the agenda. May your word be the transcript. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's do this. Let's start unpacking some awesome and powerful truths. The church is. First, the church is Christ. It belongs to Jesus. Uh, Matthew says this in Matthew 16. And when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Lots of opinions out there. Our world's full of them too, right? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Really nice guy. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father was in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I understand Maple Grove, it's not my church, it's not the elders' church, and it's not your church. It's his church. And listen, we did not build it, he built it. On this rock, I will build my church. And, and and what's the rock upon which Jesus is going to build his church? It's the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you know, I find it interesting that as soon as Jesus gets his identity squared away, the very first thing, the very first thing he talks about is the church. And I'm convinced that's because the church and who Jesus is, they're attached, they're intertwined, they're linked, they are inseparable. Inseparable is an adjective. Incapable, it means incapable of being separated or disjoined. Seemingly always together. Man, that sure describes Jesus and the church, doesn't it? Incapable of being separated or disjoined. You can't separate them. That's why in Acts 9, when Paul's on the road to Damascus and he's persecuting the church, and Jesus shows up and he says, Saul, Saul, he says your name twice, you're in trouble, right? Saul, Saul, he says it three times, it's done, right? But he says, Saul, Saul, why are you, Acts 9, 4, why are you persecuting me? Jesus is on his throne. He says, hey, what you do to the church, you do to me. He takes personally, you can't separate them. Inseparable. Unable to be disjoined or separate, always together. And this always together thing is, it shows up in Revelation, right? That, that Jesus is seen, he's like always around the church. As Revelation opens up, the word means an unveiling, unveiling of Jesus and all his glory, unveiling what's really going on behind the scenes of, of life. And, and John paints this powerful picture of Jesus in all his glory. And Guess where Jesus is standing? Right in the middle of his church. Here, John's in exile. He's 90 years old. He's in the Roman version of Alcatraz. He has incredible, this incredible vision. 
He says, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with the gold sash around his chest, and his head and his hair were like white wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in the furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. I think I would too, right? But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. And then he explains, he says, this is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, the word angel or messenger can be translated either way. It's the same word, you know. Uh, you know I, I tend to believe he's talking about, you know, these are the, the pastors. These are the, the pastors, the preachers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are what? They're the seven churches. See, the church belongs to Jesus, and Jesus stands right in the middle of those lampstands. Is that cool or what? And because he's right there, John lets us know in chapters 2 and 3 that, that Jesus knows, right? He, he knows what's going on. He knows about our deeds, our hard work, our perseverance. He, he knows about our suffering, our poverty, and our opposition. He knows about our love, our faith, and our service. He knows when we pretend to, that we're alive to him and we're, in truth, that we're dead to him. You, you see, the church belongs to Jesus, and when something belongs to you, you really care about it, right? I mean, if you're walking through the parking lot uh, later this week and there's a car with a dent on it, would it mean more to you if that car was yours or, or if it didn't belong to you, right? You know, if it's not my car, it's like, well, that, that, that's got to be terrible, right? If it's mine, it's like, what happened? I got a dent in my car, right? If something belongs to you, you care about it, and the church belongs to Jesus, And therefore, here's something that hit, uh, hit me this morning, so I had to write it down. A lot of stuff hit me in the morning on Sundays, and I write it down. It gets kind of crazy. Um, but you can't say you love Jesus and not love his church. You cannot say you love Jesus and not love his church. If you do not love his church, you do not love Jesus. Think about that. And ask Jesus if it's true. <laughs> Uh, next to church is the called out. Uh, the word used for church in New Testament, used 114 times, ecclesia. It, it originally described the regular assembly of citizens in a free city-state. The citizens were called out by a herald to gather and conduct the public business. So the word came to mean the, the called out ones. You see, the church, it's not a building, it's us, it's me, it's you. We, we, we are the church. Uh, the church is the called out ones. Here's, here's how I like to put it. The church are those called out from the world by the gospel to go out into the world with the gospel because they are the hope of the world. We're called out from the world by the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. 
You see, the, the gospel calls us out from the world. It, it calls us out from a, from a life that is empty and dark and hopeless, all about us, separated from God, and it calls us into a life that is full, bright, hopeful, reconciled, and all about and all for God. We're called to go out into the world with the gospel. You see, we're not to keep the good news of forgiveness, salvation, and restoration to ourselves. Right? Jesus said we're to go out into the world and make disciples of all nations. Right? The world needs the good news of Jesus. Amen? Like, like, like if we had the cure for cancer, would we tell anybody? Or we say, hey, I cured my cancer. I'm good. Good to go. Or we say, hey, I got to get on Oprah and Dr. Phil, right? <laughs> I got to get the word out, right, that I have found the cure for cancer. I got to let somebody know because there's people who have cancer that are dying, and, and I can let them know, and it'll save them and their families and so much heartache. And we have the gospel, which is a cure to even deadlier cancer than physical cancer. And we're to go out in the world with the gospel because the church is the hope of the world. It's the hope of the world. I've never forgotten, since the first time I heard it, you know, uh, what Bill Hybels talked about in his book, Courageous Leadership, when this truth that the church is the hope of the world really sees them for the first time. He was in San Juan Airport waiting for his plane, and he saw a nine-year-old boy beating up a younger boy in the airport, literally pounding his head on the floor of the airport. And he ran over, he separated the two boys from fighting and, and tried to find his parents, but he couldn't find any of the parents anywhere. And, and finally, they called him to go to his gate, and he had to go. As he sat down on the plane, he really wanted to forget about it and move on, but the Holy Spirit wanted him to wrestle a little bit with the question of what could change the trajectory of this young boy's life. He writes this, I scroll through every option I could think of. Governments could pass new legislation. Businesses can provide sorely needed jobs. Wise educators can teach useful knowledge of the world. Self-help programs can offer effective methods of behavior modification. Advanced psychological techniques can aid self-understanding. And all of this is good, but can any of it transform a human heart? He goes on, I believe that only one power exists on this sorry planet that can do that. It's the power of the love of Jesus Christ, the love that conquers sins, wipes out shames, and heals wounds, and reconciles enemies, and patches broken dreams, and ultimately changes the world one life at a time. And what grips my heart every day, he says, is the knowledge that, the, that this radical message of transforming love has been given to the church. This means that in a very real way, the future of the world rests in the hands of local congregations like yours and mine. It's a church or it's lights out. Without churches so filled with the power of God that they can't help but spill goodness and peace and love and joy into the world, depravity will win the day, evil will flood the world. But it doesn't have to be that way. Strong, growing communities of faith can turn the tide of history. They can. Don't bother looking elsewhere. Definitely not in government, right? or in Hollywood, or our culture, don't bother looking elsewhere. The church is it. 
The church are those called out from the world by the gospel to go into the world with the gospel because they are the hope of the world. Church is. And I'm going to give you the fill in the blank, and we're going to hit this. The church is Maple Grove. We're hitting that next week. Now, I'm just going to tell you that when the Bible talks about the church, it's Maple Grove, right? The local church is the church, right? You know, there's an idea out there. Maybe I won't cover it next week. I'll just summarize it right here, right? There's this idea out there that there's like two churches, right? There's a church you can see that's sometimes messy, and, and, and there's a church that's invisible, right? Uh, the real church that you can't. And, and, and the bottom line is there's just one church, and the local church is a church, right? And next week, I'm going to dive into that because I wanna, really want this other stuff, all right? So if that confused you a little bit, save it, and I'll unconfuse you next week, all right? Because I, I really want to hit these next two. And like I said, I have no idea what's going on in this series. But I do know the church is a hope of the world. I do that we're called out from the world with the gospel to go out into the world with the gospel because we are the hope of the world. And I know the church belongs to Jesus. And I know that the church is the body of Christ. It's Paul's favorite metaphor for the church. He says this in Colossians uh, chapter 1. It's in verse 18, but I, I can't read Colossians 1, 18 without reading what's before it. The Son is the image of the invisible God. That's who we're worshiping. The firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Think about this. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He is the head of the body, the church. And I'll tell you something you may not know. A head is incomplete without a body. And a body is incomplete without a head. They're both needed. He says this in Ephesians. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He's saying there that the church is his body, the fullness of him. So the church is the fullness of who? The fullness of Jesus who does what? Who fills everything in every way. Question, was the body of Christ important and vital to God's redemptive plan in the first century? Absolutely, right? Is the body of Christ important, key, and vital in God's redemptive plan in the 21st century? You better believe it. In their book, The Second Incarnation, A Theology for the 21st Century, Rubel Shelley and Randall Harris write this. This is good. Just as the invisible God made himself visible and tangible in Jesus Christ, so now the invisible Christ is making himself visible and tangible to the world through his church. You see, if Jesus is going to make contact with the lost, hurting, and broken in this world, it will be through his church, right? And a bunch of people went with Courtney last week, and they did that, right? You know, 
Uh, they went and were a visible and tangible representation of Jesus Christ to a bunch of people at the laurels, right? In a very real way, we are the voice, the hands, the feet, and the love of Jesus in this world. And like the video said, feet shouldn't stand still, hands shouldn't be idle, feet go, hands do, this is the church. Here's one more quote they make. While Christ in his person is altogether complete, without Christ, without the church, I'm going to start over. While Christ in his person is altogether complete without the church, Christ in his earthly function or mission is incomplete without his spiritual body. We are called to complete, execute, and perform in our collective life what he desires to have done in the world. What we do in our world, we must do in order to be faithful as his body. I love it. You see, we are the body of Christ in this world on a mission to complete, execute, and perform in our collective life what he desires to have done, which is to save lost people. The church is the body of Christ. What a powerful image to chew on. And it's meant to be a unifying, right, image. Uh, Paul, in writing to a, a seriously divided church, spent 19 verses reminding them that, hey, you guys are part of the same body. He says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we've all been baptized in one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. You see, being part of one body is supposed to unify us, right? Like, like my feet can't say to my legs, yo, I don't need you, right? Because they're just not going to go anywhere, right? Right? You know? Every part of the body is important. We, we need each other. And listen, there's no greater honor on earth than to be part of God's church. Once we were not a member of his body, now we are a member of his body. May we never lose our wonder, right? Yeah, I, I'm one of those odd people that spent some time watching the NFL draft. I record it so I can fast forward to they make the selection trying to figure out if my team's going to make the choices I think they should make, right? You know, like they really need my help. I'm like, what are you doing, right? You know, and, and, and you see guys, are, they're not members of a team, right? And then all of a sudden, now they're a member of a team, right? They're just waiting. I, I wasn't a part of that team, but now all of a sudden, I'm a part of that team. Uh, one guy said this, Jared Stidham, was drafted by the Patriots, pick number 133. Auburn quarterback, he says, I'm so fired up and ready to get to work and be part of a great organization, right? Hey, I'm a part of a great organization. I, I can't wait to be a part of it. It's an honor to be a part of the body of Christ. When was the last time you're all struck by the fact that you're part of the body of Christ? No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, Paul says, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of the body. I want to read something that, that Francis Chan wrote. Every believer needs to stare at those verses long enough to be stunned. I mean, really stunned. Paul referred to it as a profound mystery. If achievement is your idol, you, want to make your, you don't want to make time for mystery, you will rush to the next sentence so you can finish the book. Rather than meditate on the miracle that you 
or a human being who's currently joined to a God who dwells in unapproachable light. Slow down long enough to marvel. The sun is 93 million miles away and you are unable to stare at it. You obviously can't touch the sun and and live, so how is it possible that we are currently attached to the one who shines brighter than the sun? High angels cover themselves with their wings in his presence, yet you are a member of his body. Why would someone so extraordinary choose to care for you like his own arm? Please tell me you didn't just keep reading. Please tell me you paused for even a minute to worship. You can't be that busy. The church is Christ. Belongs to him. You know, and, and the church is his body. You know, we are his representatives on this planet. If the world is going to know about the love of Christ, it's through me and it's through you, right? If the world's ever going to get straight, it's going to be through me and, and through you. And, and we are part of the body of Christ. You know, once we were sitting on the sideline, wanting to be drafted, is anybody going to pick me, right? And, and now we are part of the greatest team, the greatest thing on the face of this planet. Something that can change hearts, that can change lives, that can change eternities. I mean, nothing comes close to comparing what the church is and what the church can do. Amen? And we're part of it. And this week, I just want to encourage you, you know, to marvel at it, Right? And we're going to talk about some more of what the church is. It may take me more than just two weeks because there's two things I couldn't talk about. Uh, next week we're going to talk about, you know, the church is the family of God. It's the temple of God. It's the flock of God. You know, there's so many things we can talk about what the Bible says the church is. But just think about it. And if you're not blown away, if you've lost your wonder, I, I pray you can get it back. That God drafted you. And now you're on his team and you're part of his body and he cares deeply for you. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, may we never lose our wonder. May I never lose my wonder. And God, I pray that, that we will be excited that you've called us out from the world by your gospel to go back into the world with the gospel because you are the hope of this world, God, through your church. God, help us to be the church that you love and long for, God. Help us be the church that you intended us to be. Amen.